welcome to the third debate of the 2020 China Power Debate Series. I'm Bonnie Glazer, Director of the China Power Project at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. And thanks to all of you for joining us today virtually. After Beijing got the COVID-19 pandemic under control within its borders, it embarked on an effort to provide medical supplies and then uh, preferential vaccine access to developing nations and uh, partners of its Belt and Road Initiative. And China also pushed a narrative that the pandemic is accelerating the decline of the United States and shifting the global balance of power in its favor. Just this past week, in fact, uh, director of the Chinese Communist Party's Central Foreign Affairs Commission, Yang Jiechi, wrote an article in uh, People's Daily. And he said, um, quote, the global pandemic has accelerated the evolution of the world's major changes. And he added to that, again, I'll quote, the balance of power is developing in a more balanced direction. Countries are stepping up their efforts to plan their role and position in the post-pandemic world structure. Relations between major powers have undergone a new round of adjustment and interaction, and the reform of the international order has accelerated. So it's clear, I think, that the COVID-19 pandemic has intensified great power strategic competition. But it remains to be seen whether China will be successful in its efforts to leverage the pandemic to make enduring geopolitical gains. So today's 2020 China power debate is on the proposition China will exploit the COVID-19 pandemic to shift the geopolitical balance of power in its favor. Now, before I introduce our speakers, I'd like to ask our viewers to cast your vote either for or against the proposition. And after you vote, I'm gonna explain how to do that. After you vote, we're gonna show you the result of a poll we've been doing on Twitter over the last four days. So while everybody is voting, I am going to introduce our uh, speakers for today's debate. Arguing for the proposition is Dr. Yen Shui Tong. Dr. Yen is Dean of Tsinghua University's Institute of Modern International Relations. He's also editor-in-chief of the Chinese Journal of International Politics. He's authored several uh, important books on Chinese foreign policy um, including uh, ancient Chinese thought, modern Chinese power. Arguing against the proposition is Dr. Aaron Friedberg. Dr. Friedberg is professor of politics and international affairs at Princeton University. He's also co-director of the Center for International Security Studies at Princeton. And he's a senior advisor to the National Bureau of Asian Research. Uh, Dr. Friedberg is also um, very uh, widely published um, on, on issues pertaining to great power competition and U.S. strategy. So you have, again, the voting instructions on your screen. And um, let's see if we can look at the results so far. Okay, so we have 77% that agree with the proposition. And percentage disagree is 24%. I'll give everybody another few seconds to cast their votes so that we can tally 
the final results, and then we'll vote at the end uh, so that we can see if people have changed their, uh, their view on this proposition. Um, uh, again, the proposition, China will exploit the COVID-19 pandemic to shift the geopolitical uh, uh, balance of uh, power in its favor. So um, it, uh, we, we can see that the vast majority of people have said agree. And I'm gonna show you the results of our Twitter poll, which were actually uh, quite similar. Um, we had 296 votes uh, total, I think, uh, on, uh, on Twitter, just about that amount, just under 300. And uh, we had 83.4% uh, that agreed with the proposition and 16.6% who disagreed. And again, we ran this poll over the last few days. So very similar to the results that we are, we are now getting live. Um, so with that, I think uh, we're gonna turn to our uh, debaters and we're going to listen to them debate uh, this proposition. So the floor is now yours, uh, Dr. Jens Freitong. Uh, we'd like to hear your, um, uh, your argument in favor of, uh, of our proposition. Please go ahead. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Bonnie. And uh, I'm, it's a great pleasure to join your uh, debate organized by you. And uh, this uh, is a very interesting. And um, uh, first, I want to say that actually uh, the result of uh, the current voting possibly uh, misled by the words will exploit. And so this term will exploit means China has not and do the pandemic uh, uh, diplomacy. So the pandemic diplomacy will be conducted by Chinese government in the future. So maybe people uh, dis uh, 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 agree with it. I think uh, that's true. But uh, actually, from my understanding, the pandemic diplomacy started from the very, very beginning of this, uh, 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 this uh, the pandemic uh, situation in January. So as soon as this happened, China had to deal with international public opinion about the pandemic. And because at that time in the January and some country and uh, uh, blame China and for China didn't control the, uh, uh, the pandemic uh, uh, expanding and uh, soon enough. So at that time, we're in a very difficult position. And so gradually the situation changed. And it's, but at that, just because at that time, China faced a very strong international pressure so China had to do a lot of pandemic uh, uh, diplomacy to explain to the world and to tell the world how uh, our, the process of the uh, for Chinese government to uh, uh, develop the plan and uh, uh, impose these uh, uh, policies and the, uh, uh, the measures to control the uh, situation, to uh, clarify uh, this discovery of the uh, COVID-19. So that's the early period. And then gradually, and the China uh, make the situation control. But at that time, I mean, in uh, in March, and in March, and then you find that this is uh, the pandemic, uh, COVID nineteen becomes uh, spreading all over the world, and uh, not all over the mainly in the uh, north uh, north part of the world, and for the Africa and uh, 
the, 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 the uh, uh, Australian, the uh, south part of the earth and still uh, quite safe. So at that time, China's uh, diplomacy and pandemic diplomacy mainly dealing with the neighbors and the uh, countries in Europe and the uh, Latin America. And later, after, I think after the uh, 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 May, after the May and the, the pandemic situation being controlled. And so from then on, China's talk, uh, discuss about what kind of cooperation we can de uh, develop and with the uh, other countries and certainly and uh, mainly uh, at the beginning, talking about the cooperation with the uh, neighbors. And then now, and uh, we're uh, really uh, lucky and we, uh, we're, uh, we can uh, have an offline conference, uh, offline person-in-person uh, uh, -person, uh, 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 teaching in class, and also we can travel domestically uh, without any uh, uh, quarantine. <laughs> but international transport, uh, uh, travel are still uh, uh, strictly controlled medically, and you can go out easily, but when you come by, you have to uh, uh, do the... Uh, 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 quarantine, so people do not want to lose the uh, two weeks for a two-day international conference. Okay, now I think Bonnie, you are trying to discuss about the current China's uh, 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 pandemic diplomacy. Uh, that's what I'm thinking about. So if you're talking about the current international uh, diplomacy, the situation like this, and uh, from understanding China for a long time faced this, uh, uh, this uh, kind of uh, uh, criticism that our soft power cannot grow uh, increase along with the hard power. That means the hard power increasing faster than the soft power. International uh, image, international attractiveness and uh, cannot go along with the improvement of the uh, hard power. So at this moment, from my understanding, most of the people in China, including the policymakers, concern. Hey, now we should and use our the uh, the pandemic situation to improve our international soft power. I think that is uh, uh, what people are talking about. And uh, actually, from my understanding, there's a, a, a delay. There's a, a something really uh, ironic at the beginning, and many people in China. Maybe I'm the only exception. Most of people believe that COVID-19 is a common threat to human beings, to every country. So it's a good opportunity for China to develop a international cooperation with the rest of the world. Actually, it didn't happen. It's just the opposite. And then the COVID-19 and uh, actually caused a lot of conflicts between China with the other countries. So you see, this is uh, really beyond people's uh, common knowledge. But for me, I think it is normal because uh, actually with the COVID-19 at first, uh, not only the common threat to the, uh, the uh, whole world, but it also have a different uh, impact on the different countries. So for some countries in like uh, Africa or the Australia, these countries and uh, Vietnam, the, the, the situation is not that serious. So there's feeling about the threat of the uh, COVID-19 is not like that in China, in uh, the US or in Europe. So that's why, and uh, some country are positive, some, uh, some country active, some country is not that active. And then the problem is happening. And some country want to spend uh, 
to adopt a very tough policy to control the international domestic transportation. And then at the beginning, this was criticized by people. But later on, people find that, hey, this is the only way for us to dealing with, uh, to, 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 uh, to do the work against the COVID-19. So from my understanding, this COVID-19 at the beginning and uh, beyond, beyond the people's imagination, non-traditional security issues can bring cooperation between the major powers. And, and uh, the other thing is also very important because people find that international organization and the international cooperation, none of them can play positive role, cannot play an effective role to control the expand, uh, expanding of the uh, uh, COVID-19. And then we have to rely on the states. That means uh, the sovereignty of the state. Every country and have to adopt their own policy to deal with the situation. And even in the Europe, what happened? And uh, within the EU cannot adopt a common policy of uh, 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 measures for all of the members. Or every members of the uh, EU have to make their own uh, policy uh, to fight the COVID-19. So that's why from my understanding, China at the beginning also didn't understand the uh, COVID-19 situation, uh, COVID-19's international influence very clearly. And so at the beginning, the diplomacy mainly for the defense, uh, defense for China. But now the situation changed. China thinks that, okay, now we do, uh, we do uh, better than most of the uh, other countries. I do, not, I do not mean China do the best than everyone. Uh, is, uh, is better than everyone, uh, like a, a Vietnam and uh, Mongolia and uh, some countries, they, 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 they do even better than China. So, but the general speaking among the major powers and China is much better than uh, the others. In that way, China is concerned that, hey, now we have the condition for developing cooperation with the other countries. And then like uh, Bonnie said at the beginning, China concerned that we should give the priority to the cooperation with the developing countries. Well, my, my, my understanding that this policy seems to me is uh, uh, facing a kind of dilemma. If we give the priority to the uh, uh, pandemic cooperation with the developing countries, then how about our relationship with the industrialized countries? This is a big issue. And how can we make the uh, a different policy toward the, the, our neighbors, uh, some uh, industrialized countries, some of the developing countries? So from understanding at, at this moment, and China seems to get a, a quite a, a positive result of the pandemic uh, 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 diplomacy in developing countries, but not uh, that uh, uh, effective uh, for some European uh, with uh, uh, for the relationship with the European some European countries. So this is an issue. So if you ask me and uh, how to value China's pandemic diplomacy, I will say generous. I will say that generally I will uh, give it. A, I will create it as a uh, 85, 85%. And uh, the, because we have to considering and uh, in uh, the market, we have the, the Europe is a big market and the Europe the, the policy toward China is a very, very important because it's a, uh, it's a, a very strong factor 
and shaping the coming international order. Like you said, how can we make the uh, international uh, uh, balance and uh, uh, shaping toward the uh, favor of China? That is a really a big issue. So from my understanding, well, we should not only give the priority to the uh, developing countries, but we should considering how to cooperate with the uh, uh, Euro uh, Europeans. And from my understanding, uh, currently we can't uh, work uh, pretty well with Japan and uh, uh, South Korea. And uh, in East Asia, we have no problem, but then the problem is uh, Europe. So finally, uh, I would say that, and uh, at this moment, I think China will become more and more experienced and with the pandemic uh, 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 diplomacy. At the beginning, we didn't know how to deal with uh, the situation, but now we learned a lot. And we learned, uh, we have uh, uh, obtained a lot of experience for the uh, uh, pandemic diplomacy. Well, uh, I think uh, I stop here. And uh, is that okay? Okay, great. Um, well, you talked quite a bit about uh, China's pandemic diplomacy, uh, but not, not a lot about shifting the geopolitical, the global balance of power. So I will come back to you um, after uh, Aaron Friedberg gives his remarks and, uh, and, and, and hope that you will address that uh, as well. But before, okay. um, I, before I turn to, uh, uh, to uh, Dr. Friedberg, let me uh, just uh, remind people as I failed to do that at the beginning about how to submit a question. So as I said, I've, I, we, we have collected a few in advance, but we definitely like to hear from uh, those who are listening to the debate because you'll have an opportunity to pose questions that will help us to deepen our understanding of each of our speakers' positions. So please only ask questions that really do pertain to the proposition would be that we are uh, debating here. So you to submit a question, you can click on the ask live questions button that is on the CSIS page that you used uh, for this event. So that's one way you can do it. Or uh, you can just um, email uh, a, a, a question if you're if that's uh, difficult for you, you can send it to hprice at CSIS.org. So that's H P-R-I-C-E, H-Price, at CSIS.org. And so after we finish the debate, we will, uh, we will uh, pull some, some good questions from that list. All right, um, uh, Aaron Friedberg, uh, over to you. Thank you very much, Bonnie, and, and thank you for inviting me. It's a real pleasure to be here and an honor uh, to be with uh, Dr. Yang. Uh, I've been asked to argue against the proposition that China will exploit the COVID-19 pandemic to shift the geopolitical balance of power in its favor. Uh, and it seems to me clear that Chinese leaders will try to do so. Indeed, they already are. And they have been for some time uh, since well before the pandemic began. But there are reasons to believe that these efforts will fail, or at least that they will encounter serious difficulties. So let me expand on both of those points. What we've seen over the past year, I think, is a doubling down on policies along the lines that China has been pursuing at least since Xi Jinping's rise to power in 2012, 2013, and arguably as early as the aftermath of the global financial crisis of 2008, uh, and which received an additional boost 
during the Trump administration or following the advent of the Trump administration in 2016 and the subsequent downturn in US-China relations. These policies appear to reflect the judgment that the United States and the Western liberal democracies more generally have entered into a period of accelerating relative decline and that the time for China to step up and to assert itself more openly has therefore arrived. And the quotes, Bonnie, that you, uh, that you gave earlier, uh, I think reflect attitudes that go back well before the pandemic. Uh, this general sense of optimism seems also to have been accompanied by certain undercurrents of anxiety on the part of the Chinese leadership, uh, persistent worries about whether and how China could transform its economic model, sustaining growth and ensuring social stability, uh, and the belief that at some point, the 20-year period of strategic opportunity that was first declared in 2002 would come to an end, and that the United States and others alarmed by the growth of Chinese power would step up their efforts to block China's rise. Uh, and this seems to be the backdrop against which China's leaders viewed Trump. Uh, they may have thought that they had more time. They may have been surprised by the particular form that it took, but I don't think they were shocked by the US shift towards a more openly competitive posture. Indeed, they've been expecting it. Under Xi, uh, the party state has sought to strengthen its grip on domestic power, mostly through a mix of uh, stepped up repression and indoctrination to accelerate the transition to a new growth model, one that relies more on technological innovation and domestic consumption rather than ever greater increments of investment and exports, and which among its other virtues would make China less dependent on the US and other advanced industrial countries for technology, capital, and markets. Uh, they've sought to build up all the other elements of China's comprehensive national power, including its military capabilities, but also its ability to wage so-called discursive struggle, helping to redefine norms, to set standards, to shape institutions in ways that enhance China's influence and reduce potential challenges to the legitimacy of its regime. Uh, under Xi, the CCP has expanded its use of political influence operations to try to shape the perceptions of foreign elites and the policies of their governments. Uh, and China has sought to advance towards what appear to be its external objectives, uh, reasserting China's role as a preponderant power in Eastern Eurasia, expanding its presence and influence, and perhaps assuming the role of the leader of the global South, uh, dividing the democracies from one another, and in particular, I think, isolating the United States, if possible, and ultimately emerging as a true global power with capacities and influence equal and eventually superior to those of the United States. Virtually everything that the regime has done since the outbreak of the pandemic involves a continuation, or in some cases, an intensification of its efforts to achieve these objectives. Uh, but some of the policies being pursued are problematic and could be self-defeating. Let me just go through a number of examples. Uh, regarding the search for a new growth model, China's initial recovery from the effects of the pandemic has been impressive, especially when compared to the performance of others. But it's achieved these results in part by stepping up exports, worsening trade imbalances, and setting the stage for more friction over trade issues. Uh, the regime has accelerated its push to achieve greater 
technological self-reliance uh, and is pouring massive sums into efforts to make rapid progress uh, in key areas such as high-end semiconductors. Uh, but these could prove wasteful and they risk uh, moving closer to a more centralized, top-down, state-directed research and develops, uh, development system uh, that could prove to be less flexible and less innovative over time. Uh, Beijing has also announced its intention to boost domestic consumption as part of its so-called dual circulation theory, uh, but this won't be easy. Among other things, uh, increasing wages, which is something you'd have to do if you want more domestic consumption, could further undercut the competitiveness of Chinese exports. Regarding its dealings with America's friends and allies, uh, instead of driving wedges and exploiting splits that seemed to be emerging under the Trump administration, Beijing has been behaving in ways that could have precisely the opposite effect, improving the prospects for cooperation among the US and its partners I would say, especially now with the arrival of a new and more multilaterally minded administration in Washington. In Europe, this is partly a matter of accumulating frustration over a lack of reciprocity in trade relations uh, and mounting concern over the implications of China's trade and industrial policies. And of course that precedes uh, the pandemic, but in Europe and elsewhere, including I would say in particular in Australia and China, uh, or rather in Canada, uh, China's aggressive wolf warrior diplomacy and its use of economic leverage to try to squelch criticism and its evident mishandling of the initial stages of the pandemic have led to diplomatic friction and growing mistrust. Since the start of the crisis, Beijing has also intensified its efforts to assert its claims in the South China Sea, it stepped up pressure on Taiwan uh, and it's reopened a long-standing border dispute with India in a way that seems likely to push New Delhi closer to Washington. A related point, uh, for these reasons, but also because it took the opportunity presented by the pandemic to consolidate its control of Hong Kong, and because of the growing awareness of its treatment of its Uyghur minority population, Beijing now risks finding itself engaged in a competition that is cast increasingly in ideological terms. Across the democratic world, opinion polls show a striking deterioration in public perceptions of an attitude towards China. And these appear to reflect not only objections to particular policies or discrete actions, uh, but a growing sense that the root cause of all of the democracy's problems with the People's Republic uh, in trade, security, regarding influence operations, human rights, uh, is the fundamental character of the CCP regime. In other words, uh, as an EU report put it last year, uh, the liberal democracies may come to regard themselves increasingly as engaged in a systemic rivalry with China. And these kinds of shifts in public opinion uh, can be very difficult to reverse. In democratic countries, they mean that there will now be more pressure than in the past uh, on governments to take a hard line when dealing with Beijing and more criticism of policies perceived as overly soft or accommodating. So the political landscape has shifted, I would say not only in the United States, but in a number of other democratic countries 
And that shift in perception and in the distribution of opinion, uh, and therefore in the dynamics of domestic politics, is not going to be undone anytime soon. In the developing world, uh, Beijing has very deftly adapted to the pandemic by offering medical assistance, by emphasizing, emphasizing the so-called health Silk Road, uh, suggesting that it will take the lead in developing and distributing a, a vaccine. Uh, but here too, China faces challenges um, regarding other aspects of its policy and whatever good uh, or whatever goodwill it accumulates uh, in this way could be offset by how it handles large outstanding loans for Belt and Road projects, which now uh, present the major economic challenge for the countries that have, have taken them on. Forgiveness of those loans uh, would have enormous economic costs for China, but insisting on payment or taking control of physical assets as collateral uh, would have reputational costs. A final point, um, Beijing's decisions under Xi Jinping to abandon the strategy of hiding and biding uh, and to adopt and repeatedly double down on a more competitive posture may turn out to have been premature. Uh, they may have underestimated the extent to which China remains dependent on the West. Uh, they may have overstated China's ability to use its economic weight to achieve its diplomatic ends. And perhaps most important, uh, they may have underestimated the resilience of the United States. And this is a mistake that other countries have made in the past. Uh, there's no doubt anyone who's been observing our politics over the last four years and more uh, doesn't need to be told that we're deeply divided along partisan lines. But thanks in large part to Beijing's actions, one issue on which there is now consensus is the severity of the challenge posed by China and the urgency of meeting it. Okay, we're going to give each of our speakers uh, five minutes now to respond to the other. And um, uh, once again, uh, we're collecting questions. Uh, and if you want to send a question, you can do so on the CSIS event page or can you can send an, uh, an email with the question uh, to hprice at csis.org. So uh, uh, Dr. Yen, uh, what I hope you'll address is not just, of course, we know China's trying to exploit the pandemic, uh, but is it succeeding? Is what makes you confident that China will be successful in uh, using this pandemic to uh, change the geopolitical global balance of power uh, in its favor? So five minutes, over to you. Okay, the uh, brief answer to uh, your question, and then I don't think China's uh, uh, influence on this uh, uh, pandemic uh, issue and uh, mainly uh, based on the pandemic diplomacy. I think the mainly uh, based on the uh, uh, pandemic domestically. And because as long as China set up a good model for fighting the COVID-19 domestically, and this will have the in impact on all over the world. And uh, even China do not do any pandemic diplomacy. So these achievements will, it is the base 
for uh, uh, enlarging or increasing China's uh, uh, international influence. And the second, and uh, I don't think that uh, China's uh, pandemic diplomacy have uh, any uh, uh, concern to reshape and uh, uh, geopolitical uh, uh, situation. The, that's not a, I don't think that that's the purpose. The reason is that pandemic diplomacy cannot reshape the geopolitical situation. And uh, in, the, in, uh, in the coming years, the geopolitical situation will be shaped by the digital competition between China and the US. If China can uh, uh, making faster digital achievements at home and uh, 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 have a more digital invention and, uh, than the United States, and then that will dramatically shape the geopolitical situation because now we are moving into the digital age. And you, you can find that most young people will spend more time online rather than offline besides the uh, uh, sleeping time. So when people's life will mainly in the cyberspace rather than the nature uh, uh, space, and then and the China, China's uh, the, the economic uh, digital competition between US and uh, China will shape the geopolitical situation. And the third is that, and uh, I think that this uh, China's pandemic diplomacy can have the impact on international norms or in degree, not uh, uh, fundamentally, and uh, have a strong impact on improving China's international image. But I think it cannot and uh, have a strong geopolitical influence. The reason is very simple, because uh, this is a short-term issue. It cannot last forever. So two, three years is the past. So the ge geopolitical situation cannot be shaped by uh, this uh, uh, event uh, in very short term. The first point, the, I don't think China's uh, pandemic diplomacy uh, have any purpose to isolate the uh, US. Trump's policy on the uh, pandemic, uh, 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 anti-pandemic uh, uh, COVID-19 work, it's uh, strong enough to isolate the US from the rest of the world. So China do not need to do anything. And Trump administration isolated the US from the whole world on the, uh, uh, the work against uh, COVID-19. So China do not need to end. China actually talking about the possibility to cooperate with the US on the anti-COVID-19 uh, uh, anti uh, work. And now people even looking for the possibility to work with the Biden administration on uh, the pandemic uh, uh, issue. The last point is that, and uh, China's uh, uh, conflicts with uh, Canada and Australia this has nothing to do with uh, the pandemic. This uh, relationship has already getting worse before the uh, COVID-19 uh, uh, happened. The COVID-19 just in some way to worsen the already bad relationship. It's not the, uh, the, the fundamental reason. And actually the fundamental reason for China and uh, uh, China's Chinese relationship with uh, uh, Canada and Australia is because they take sides and add American uh, 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 with the United States to contain China. And they didn't adopt uh, the hiding strategy. 
and like the other countries. And take uh, on one side with China, uh, on issue A with China, issue B with the US, they take almost 90% 90, 90, uh, 90 of issues they stand with the US, only less than 10% issues uh, uh, with China. So the general speaking, they adopted uh, the, a strategy to side with the US uh, to contain China. This uh, basic uh, policy or the strategy and, uh, and is the fundamental reason for the uh, bad relationship between China uh, uh, and these two countries. Okay, um, Aaron, five minutes. Did you have a question you wanted to pose to me or should I just- Well, you get five minutes to respond now to, uh, to Dr. Yen-Shui-Tong's remarks that he has just made, and then we will take questions from our viewers. All right, well, um, it seems to me that uh, viewing, perhaps there are a number of different ways in which we can view the pandemic, uh, but seeing it in this rather short-term perspective it seems to me understates its significance, but also takes it out of the larger context in which it occurred. So yes, it's a short-term event, although it will have lingering consequences, but as I tried to suggest, it comes in the stream of events that I think has been carrying the US-China relationship and China's relationship with other parts of the world in a particular direction. And Bonnie, as your uh, quotes from uh, some other Chinese observers at the beginning suggested, and some other uh, writings on this that I've, I've come across, uh, it would appear that some analysts in China uh, also take this view that these events present an opportunity. They are accelerating trends that are arguably favorable to China uh, and therefore shouldn't be seen simply in, in the short term. Um, I guess uh, a couple of thoughts. One, it seems to me that it's necessary in trying, uh, as an American at least, looking out at China uh, to, to understand Chinese policy, to disaggregate what China has been doing in its bilateral relationship with the United States, in its relations with the developing world, and its relations with other democratic countries with the West broadly defined. So Europe, but the democracies in Asia as well. Um, and I agree with the suggestion that was made earlier that uh, Chinese policy has since the pandemic uh, and maybe before as well, focused more on the developing world than perhaps people in the United States have recognized. That the developing world is more significant from the perspective of China's long-term strategy and long-term strategy for enhancing its power and position relative to the United States and to others in the democratic world, uh, then perhaps we've understood. And the pandemic is just another, potentially another opportunity to do that. The real puzzle, it seems to me, and not just in the last 10 or 11 months, but frankly, in the last four years, is why China has not taken more advantage of the opportunity that appeared to be presented to it by the attitudes of the Trump administration towards traditional US allies. Uh, if there was ever a moment when China should have been able to drive deeper wedges between the United States and Europe or the United States and its partners and allies in Asia, it would have seemed to me to have been this period of time in which the United States, in addition to pursuing trade actions against China, 
was imposing tariffs on imports of steel from, from its allies and threatening uh, trade actions on imports of automobiles from Europe and making suggestions about the possibility of withdrawing from longstanding alliances or criticizing US allies for not uh, doing more to carry the burdens of, of mutual defense, uh, failing to talk in the ways that previous American leaders and administrations have talked about common values, at least until the very latter stages of, of our administration. That would have seemed to be an opportune moment uh, from a Chinese perspective to, uh, again, to drive wedges and accelerate uh, divisions. And yet, as I tried to suggest in my remarks over this period, and I would say particularly since the pandemic, Chinese policy has pointed in precisely the opposite direction. Uh, what explains that? Uh, is it a result of misunderstanding, uh, misperception of, uh, of China's leverage? Uh, does it reflect the belief that in the long run, uh, China's economic weight is such that particularly countries in Europe, but also uh, advanced uh, uh, economies in Asia will have to uh, accept China's terms and pursue better relations with China, even when uh, the Chinese government is saying offensive things uh, about those governments, about, uh, about their policies. Um, I'm not sure. It's a, it is the, for me, it's the biggest puzzle in trying to understand Chinese strategic behavior over the last four years, and especially over the period of pandemic. Um, it doesn't make a lot of sense. As regards uh, Canada and Australia, um, and it's an interesting point uh, to say that they've sided with the United States on 90% of issues. Uh, I think that reflects their judgment of their interests and also of these, the sense that they uh, have common values uh, that they're trying to defend along with the United States. I mean, as regards countries in Europe, um, the extent to which European countries are now concerned, for example, about China's industrial policies or uh, are critical of China's handling of the pandemic is particularly striking uh, because it has come, I think, in spite of the way in which the Trump administration has behaved and has treated those countries. That ought to be a warning sign, I think, from the point of view of Chinese strategy. That ought to be an indication that there is the potential for Chinese behavior to create a countervailing coalition uh, that would may be much more effective uh, in dealing with China on a range of issues, including on trade issues, uh, than the United States has proven to be alone. I guess the last thing I would say, um, China's performance in handling the pandemic has, has certainly been impressive, but I think it would be a mistake to believe that it's regarded uh, purely positively by people in other parts of the world, and particularly in the United States, but I think elsewhere as well, uh, for a number of reasons. One is I think there's an understanding uh, that the way in which China dealt with the pandemic and its success was a result of its ability and willingness to exercise extraordinary uh, coercive power over the population. 
So what we've found in this country and other democratic countries that don't have that kind of state power have found is it's difficult to get people to do the things that they ought to do to limit the spread of a pandemic. But I don't think most people would choose to have a vastly more powerful state in order to deal with that, with that problem. We're trying to strike a balance. Uh, secondly, I think it's also been clear that other countries, uh, particularly countries in Asia that don't have uh, these overweening, overly powerful states have also been quite successful in dealing with the pandemic, uh, Taiwan being one, uh, Japan and South Korea also to a, to a somewhat lesser degree, Australia. Um, so China is not the only success story. And then the last factor which weighs against this sort of positive story is the continuing uncertainty about the actual origins of, of the pandemic. Um, and this question, I think, uh, has been mishandled and I would say overly politicized by the Trump administration in a way that has tended to divert attention from what is still a significant question, which is how exactly did the uh, virus emerge uh, and what exactly did and didn't China do in order to deal with it in its early stages. Uh, and the fact that the Chinese government has yet to be entirely forthcoming about uh, those events means that there's a lingering mistrust. Uh, and that, I, again, I think undercuts whatever soft power advantage there might be from in the short run, having beaten down the pandemic more effectively than other countries in the West have done. Great. Well, one of the... Uh... Uh, core issues is, uh, of course, whether there's going to be an enduring impact on uh, U.S. And, and Chinese national power uh, as a result of this uh, pandemic. Will it just be a fleeting impact, uh, or, or will over time this help China to boost its national power, or um, uh, or the opposite? And so um, I'm going to uh, pull uh, two questions, one for each of you. The first is from David Zweig from uh, Hong Kong University of Science and Technology. And so this question will be for uh, Yan Shui Tong. To what extent has the virus affected China's national power? And then uh, for you, Aaron, um, uh, from Wang Yuan Kang from Western Michigan University. The U.S. has proven to be very resilient in the past, but can it maintain its lead in the global balance of power? Now, of course, there's many, many factors that affect that, but the pandemic, uh, many people suggest, uh, is going to harm uh, the United States, certainly our economy in the short run, but it is a big question mark as to whether it will have any enduring impact. So, um, uh, Yan Shui Tong, why don't we start with you? Is uh, COVID nine so far has uh, what to what extent has the has the virus affected China's national power and extending that will that it will that enable uh, China to build a, a greater to, to narrow the gap with the U.S. in its national power and therefore have geopolitical gains. Okay, uh, if we're talking about the pandemic impact on China's power, we have to have a. a uh, 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 two categories. One is uh, absolute power, that uh, the other is relative power. In terms of uh, absolute power, 
the pandemic has a very, very negative impact on Chinese power because of the economic growth and uh, it's so low. It, at most, uh, could be 2%. And it's, a, it's a, for, the, for, for Chinese standard, this is almost nothing. Usually, we keep the growth at the 6%, 7%, even uh, 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 two-digit uh, 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 rate. So in terms of extra power, the impact is uh, very negative. But if you concern the relative power, it's uh, favorable because the pandemic has a larger, stronger, uh, more negative impact on the US and the other countries, and uh, less than on China, right? So that means uh, it's not because Chinese uh, power increased very much, but just because the pandemic makes a lot of other countries' power decrease. So it's narrow the power gap between China and the US and enlarge the power uh, disparity between China with the other countries. And also related to this, if you ask me, what's the fundamental role to for China's uh, uh, pandemic? Uh, uh, what's the fundamental role the pandemic played for uh, China's uh, uh, power influence? From understanding, it's not because of the diplomacy, and the diplomacy may play some uh, uh, secondary or uh, complementary uh, role. The fundamental role is a domestic anti-COVID-19 work. And all, all, every country have to face the situation. On the one hand, you have to control the situation, the pandemic situation. On the other hand, you have to keep the economy growth. So these two things are conflicted with each other. How can you make the economy growing uh, relatively better and make the uh, uh, COVID-19 uh, uh, pandemic and uh, being controlled. So in this case, China possibly the uh, uh, the, the best students among all of the major powers. So if this is a China, this make China becomes a good model for most of the developing countries. These countries say, hey, look at that. If we can make that, and then we can benefit. If we can uh, make the same achievements uh, like China, so we can. Uh, uh, make our country better. So according to my theory, moral realism, all international leadership is authority. It's based on its uh, achievements and mainly based on the domestic achievements. So domestic achievements on the medical control of a pandemic situation and economic growth is the key factor and uh, uh, increase China's uh, international power. And uh, also related to this is that the pand and I, the pan I don't think that the pandemic provide opportunity for China. It's not a pandemic, uh, 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 COVID-19 provide uh, strategic opportunity for China. It's a, the Trump provide opportunity for China. If Trump adopts a policy and make the American economy grow faster than China, meanwhile, they keep the, uh, the, the uh, pandemic con uh, uh, constraint and the most successful than, than China, China will be in an awkward position. So this is a competition between China, you say, US to see who can, who can do better than the other sides. Because Trump failed to, to, to win this competition uh, for the medical, con, uh, medical cons, uh, uh, work against the uh, COVID-19. So the, China got an opportunity. So opportunity not provided by the COVID-19, but by Trump's uh, uh, um, uh, anti uh, 
anti-COVID-19 uh, uh, policy. The final thing is about the Canada and Australia. And uh, actually, you can find that Canada and Australia do not make their judgment about their own national interests like American other traditional allies, Japan, South Korea, and the, the other uh, European countries. And all of these countries uh, will value their national interests and how to deal with uh, the pandemic situation in terms of uh, uh, China uh, relationship with China. But why Canada and Australia so adopt such a strong policy against China from my standing is because of their leaders. That's also my theory, moral realism. Leadership matters a lot. And let's suppose if, uh, the, the, if the other people, like the, uh, 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 the Cameron Rod, still serve the prime minister, I don't think China and the US really, Australian China relationship will become so bad. So this is a leader's personal strategic preference and make China from the Canada and the Australia make the uh, the bilateral relationship with China getting worse and worse. Okay, um, Aaron, let's uh, please be concise so we can have a few more questions. Okay, so um, there are questions here about the short term and the long term about absolute and relative. Um, and there's no doubt in the short run, the impact of the pandemic on U.S. economic performance as compared to China's economic performance has been more severe. So the slowdown in growth in the United States was deeper and uh, may persist longer than was the case with China. Um, but then there's the question of what happens in the long run because those short-term uh, fluctuations are not going to have a huge impact on uh, the, the sort of 20 or 30 year perspective on the relative growth of their economies and their, and their power. And here, I think it's, you know, it's too early to say. One thing uh, to note about the case of China is, and China's resilience, is this uh, crisis comes on top of accumulating problems that have been leading to a slowdown in China's economic growth. And uh, the inability thus far of China's leaders to formulate and implement uh, an alternative model for growth to the one that got them to where they are now. And I mentioned this, they, they're trying to shift to increase domestic consumption. They're trying uh, to shift to greater uh, autonomy in the development of technology and innovation, uh, but they haven't successfully done either of those things. Uh, and as I, as I tried to suggest, although it's not exclusively the result of the pandemic, uh, some of the things that the CCP leadership now seems to be trying to do um, may be counterproductive. Again, particularly this push for technological self-reliance, this move towards something which begins to more closely resemble a kind of top-down command uh, R&D system that may be uh, inflexible and not be very innovative in the long run. As far as the, the resilience of the United States, yes, the U.S. has been resilient in the past. Um, and, you know, as they say on Wall Street, past performance is not a guarantee of, of future returns. Uh, so I don't think we can be assured that we will be as resilient. We have deep problems, political divisions, 
accumulating societal uh, issues and some underlying economic problems. Uh, but our system is also flexible and our society is also not entirely dependent on whether there is or isn't gridlock in Washington. And that's the strength of uh, uh, the American economy and the strength of our society. Uh, so I'm guardedly optimistic. I can see all kinds of reasons why people would be, would be less so. Uh, but again, as I tried to suggest, uh, the, the thing that has enabled the United States to make large jumps uh, in its power uh, over time has usually been some kind of crisis or challenge uh, and the response to that challenge because our system is set up in a way that actually was designed to make it difficult to do much, to limit the power of government. It's only when you have the perception of a challenge that you get alignment between the branches of government that unlocks the potential power of the federal government and its ability to stimulate uh, economic technological development and so on. I, I guess the last point, uh, Trump failed, um, no doubt, uh, in my view, the handling the pandemic, uh, but uh, Trump is on his way out, uh, whether he has accepted that or not. Uh, there's gonna be a new administration coming in. Um, so whatever the success or failure of the previous administration, uh, it is not the sum total of the performance of the United States over the long run in dealing with the effects of the pandemic. It's one last thing. Uh, it's starting to look like the United States and the other advanced industrial countries, in fact, are going to be the leaders in developing COVID vaccines. Uh, that for a while, it looked like perhaps China had some advantages. Uh, its willingness to conduct large-scale human testing and so on may have given it an edge, uh, but that may not hold up. So uh, yes, moral leadership and the example of performance and success I think the dynamism of the Western system of innovation that seems now to be giving birth to a whole variety of possible uh, vaccines and treatments uh, for, the, uh, for the virus uh, may in the long run reflect better on the capacity of democratic societies uh, than their short-term performance, which has not been outstanding. So the next question uh, for uh, Yen Shui Tong is from Paul Hare uh, from the Center for National Interest. And he asks whether Beijing expects to score points internationally with uh, its claims that COVID-19 originated outside China and its resistance to international involvement in investigating the spread uh, of the virus inside China. So it, it is this um, effort uh, to determine where the virus started? Is this primarily uh, led by domestic concerns or is it partially being used to, uh, to gain some uh, advantages internationally? Well, uh, according to my very limited knowledge about the, uh, uh, the, this question, is that at this moment, Chinese government official policy is very clear and China do, make, do not make the official judgment where and how and when the uh, COVID-19 uh, uh, occur, occurred or started. And China still uh, said uh, the official policy that we're still waiting for 
the medical research, the by the scientists. So, so we believe the scientists will finally give their common judgment internationally about uh, how this COVID-19 uh, uh, happened. And uh, by now, if we are talking about the media, the media definitely talking about two things. One is talking about uh, very recently this week, they're talking about uh, American medical people discovered that the COVID-19 uh, uh, virus was discovered in uh, December of last year in the United States. And uh, before the, uh, uh, is a, um, the, the latest one is uh, uh, December, December 13th. And uh, the, another news reported by the media and uh, a little bit early that in Italy, they discovered, uh, the, they found that uh, some COVID-19 um, uh, virus in September of uh, 2019, that means the last year. So officially the government didn't say anything. They did not uh, make this judgment. The original uh, COVID-19 started from the foreign countries. This is uh, on the media only. Official uh, policy is still waiting for the medical research. So if I can see one thing this time, I found that the Chinese government can do better in work against uh, COVID-19 is because they listen to scientists this time. They do not like the Trump administration, reject the ideas or the judgment from the scientists. Okay, Aaron, um, we have a question from a university student whose name is uh, Carlos. And uh, he asked, um, based on the fact that China has used the pandemic and other means to tie other countries uh, through investments, debt, uh, economic means uh, to China, um, what the United States and other countries can do to counter this and asks whether a radical creative move uh, similar to the Marshall Plan or something like that um, is necessary in order to counter China's uh, efforts, not only, of course, to exploit the pandemic, but to tie other countries' development to, to China? Well, that's, that's, again, a question that goes back before the pandemic and one that I think the United States and other governments uh, had started to wrestle with, how to respond in particular to China's efforts under the Belt and Road Initiative. Um, and I think the, uh, although it's not a fully formulated Policy. The U.S. and other governments have begun to take more interest in how they might offer uh, competitive funding uh, for projects that would be offered under better terms or that would be transparent in a way uh, that assistance from China or loans from China have not been. Um, the uh, as far as the pandemic is concerned, again, there's this issue of the possible the distribution of of uh, a vaccine. Um, the reality is, certainly in the United States, and I think this would be true in, in other developing, uh, developed countries, maybe especially in Europe, uh, the economic problems associated with the aftermath of the pandemic will mean that there's a lot of pressure on budgets. So I think it's not realistic to expect that the United States or other countries are going to generate vast quantities of resources uh, in order and devote them to the developing world, at least not in the short run. Um, but I think in the longer term, again, there's a growing recognition of the significance 
of this part of the world for a variety of reasons, including in the context of a growing uh, strategic competition with China and a search for ways of, uh, where possible, working together with others, including potentially working together with China, but where that's not possible, working together among the democratic countries to offer alternatives. And that has started to happen. Japan, Australia, uh, India, some European countries as well, uh, re-examining uh, their approaches uh, to, to this kind of assistance. I guess the last thing to say on that is the whole idea of improving connectivity and investing in infrastructure, certainly in Eurasia, was one that began in the West, particularly the United States, uh, and was not pursued perhaps as vigorously as it might have been. Uh, but it was, uh, it was originally a part of, of US policy, part of a US vision for a post-Cold War world that would be more integrated. And I don't think that's, uh, that's gonna disappear altogether. If I could just on the, I, I don't pretend to have any knowledge of the scientific issues of virus. All I know is I'm supposed to wear a mask and stay six feet away from people. And I've been doing that rigorously. Um, however, uh, it seems to me the, the only way of resolving these questions about the origins and the spread of the disease, which by the way, is obviously extremely important for reasons that have nothing to do with strategic competition. The fact that this is an example of something which we are, if the scientists are right, likely to face increasingly uh, over time. Uh, the only way to get that kind of understanding is to have complete transparency and access to all available information uh, and media stories about whether this popped up in Italy or the United States or wherever uh, don't advance that cause. And my understanding is the Chinese government has not been fully forthcoming uh, and it needs to be if it wants to dispel these concerns. We've talked uh, a little bit about China's uh, wolf warrior diplomacy. So we have a question from Dan Markey at uh, John Hopkins University, SICE about uh, the impact of, uh, of the wolf warrior diplomacy. And well, first he asks, is it a reflection of China's confidence, its global ambition or something else entirely? And then the second half of his question is um, uh, as of course, Aaron has already talked about, it has been perceived uh, negatively and played poorly in some countries, uh, in, uh, in Australia, in Europe, and in the United States, but is it possibly seen as more successful elsewhere? Uh, is it perceived positively perhaps in the developing world so that it might harm China's reputation in some places, but perhaps benefit China um, in, in others? And so I'll ask both of you that question. Um, and this will be our last question and then we'll go back to our audience uh, for a final vote. Uh, Yan Shui Tong, over to you. Okay, but before I answer your question, I just make a, a little thing to uh, the, uh, Aaron's uh, 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 remarks. Actually, from my understanding, and this time China can do better because we leave the job to the professionals. And as long as the professionals take over the job and take over the chair to make the decision, in most cases, they do make the better uh, decision than the uh, 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 layman. 
And just like us, and we believe that if the policymakers listen to IR experts' ideas, they can make a better foreign policy. I don't think that anyone suggests that, okay, you can make a better policy if you go to ask a taxi driver, how do you make a foreign policy? So the same thing. And so if, if Biden can adopt this policy and listen to the, uh, uh, the uh, medical experts, I don't think that pandemic situations will be so bad in the United States. You, if we look at the situation in Japan and the, uh, the, yeah, almost every the uh, East Asian countries, and uh, one my that's my personal experience. As long as everyone wear the face mask, and the, you can reduce the expansion uh, uh, of the COVID nineteen by eighty percent, maybe ninety percent, and as long as everyone uh, wear the mask, so you, this afternoon we have a meeting, so everyone wear mask have meeting. So certainly it looks up. Uh, weird, but then it won't have uh, any problem for you have a meeting together. And uh, so that, that's uh, one, uh, one point in that, uh, and uh, no matter foreign policy or the, uh, the counter uh, COVID-19, and we should listen to the uh, uh, experts idea uh, rather than uh, lean. The, to your question, and that if you concern the uh, China's uh, 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 impact, and the political influence on this uh, COVID-19 issue in the other countries. And we have a quite good relationship with Japan and the, uh, uh, the uh, South Korea. And there is no problem. And uh, these two countries developed this uh, uh, medical cooperation. So as long as we, I think uh, China should adopt the policy and to develop this kind of uh, cooperation, medical cooperation with the country, who are willing to cooperate with China, rather than waste the time and energy to looking uh, develop the cooperation with the country do not want to cooperate with China. So my understanding, this time China can make achievements on some, uh, uh, on the uh, pandemic uh, 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 diplomacy. It's because uh, these countries accept China's uh, uh, cooperation. And for those countries do not accept China's cooperation, we waste time. Certainly, I agree with that. And uh, the policy toward the uh, uh, European is not uh, that successful. That's maybe exception uh, beyond my uh, theory. Okay, Aaron, you get the last word. Uh, just very quickly, I'm all in favor of leaving it to the experts, although I'm, I'm not sure I want to leave it to the IR scholars, uh, having learned for 30 years. But, the present company accepted, of course. Um, regarding wolf warrior diplomacy, it is a puzzle. Uh, and I think there are various hypotheses about what might explain it. Is it a manifestation of uh, domestic politics or the desire of people in the Chinese system to enhance their own prestige? I doubt that because I don't think there are too many free agents operating in the system. I think the people who are saying the things that they've been saying are doing so because they've been instructed to do so if they're diplomats. Does it reflect a kind of confidence, as I suggested, that in the long run, uh, other countries will have to come back to China because of their economic dependence? It could be that. Um, you mentioned, and uh, the, the questioner uh, uh, mentioned the possibility that this may be aimed at other audiences. I think that's a very interesting hypothesis, and it's actually one that I'm sympathetic to. And I think it may explain a variety of aspects of Chinese behavior, which are a bit puzzling from the perspective of the United States, at least. 
this may be playing to a very different audience. Um, so attacking and criticizing the arrogant West uh, won't win you any friends in the West, but it may enhance China's standing in other parts of the world where there are similar attitudes and sometimes for good historic uh, reasons. And again, it goes to this question of the importance of the developing world in China's strategy, which, as I said, I think is perhaps not adequately understood uh, in the West. The final question I would raise, and this is, I think, what's interesting about the period in which we're now about to enter uh, with the departure of the Trump administration and a change in uh, government here in the United States, is whether China will be able to change course. Because in the past, I think uh, China has been quite skillful often in calibrating and recalibrating, adjusting. Uh, I think there'd be good reason for uh, China to try to uh, press the United States to reset relations and so on. Um, it'll be interesting to watch and to see whether they're actually willing and able to make those kinds of changes. And also the, the extent to which the United States and other develop, uh, developed democratic countries at this point are interested in going back to the status quo ante. I, I don't think they really are. All right, um, great uh, questions and an excellent uh, discussion and debate. And certainly want to thank both of you. And before we end our session, we are going to vote again. So I hope that everybody will uh, cast their votes. We did um, uh, do the voting beforehand for anybody who joined late. And we had about 80% uh, agreeing with the proposition uh, that China will ex successfully exploit the pandemic to shift the geopolitical balance of power in its favor. And we had about 20% who uh, disagreed and just about the same in our Twitter poll that we did over the last four days as well. So uh, the instructions are on the screen. You can vote uh, with your phone. Uh, you can text the word China power to 2233. Um, and then you text A if you agree with the proposition, uh, and you can text B if you disagree with the proposition, or to cast your vote with your computer, you go to pollev.com slash China Power, and the proposition will pop up on your screen, and you can click on the button uh, for agree or disagree. Um, again, we're not trying to get at whether China will try to exploit the pandemic but whether it will be successful in exploiting the pandemic to shift the geopolitical balance of power um, in its favor. Um, uh, this uh, unfortunately doesn't tell us exactly how many votes we have, uh, but we, we will find that out afterwards and uh, perhaps we'll be able to add it to the slide when we, when we post it for um, our archives. The software is limited. You have to choose between number of votes and the percentages. Uh, so uh, we chose uh, percentages uh, so that we can easily uh, compare. So we're going to just wait maybe another uh, 20 seconds or so. And uh, it's evening out a little bit, not quite as, uh, as large a gap as we had at the beginning. Um, I probably should have inserted the word successful in our, uh, in our proposition, but I thought that was uh, clear. Uh, as it was stated, that the focus is really on not whether China will try to exploit the opportunity of the pandemic, 
since it has clearly done so, but whether it will be successful in shifting the geopolitical balance of power in its favor. Of course, there are many other aspects, uh, not just the pandemic, uh, but that is what we are focusing on uh, today. So uh, we are, um, we are almost here at 50-50. It's like going back and forth a, a little bit with agree or disagree ahead, but it's, it's almost even now. So I would say that uh, uh, we've, we've, we've had a really uh, good discussion. We'll have to see going forward whether uh, this pandemic and other factors will enable China uh, to be more successful in shifting the geopolitical balance of power in its favor, because I think that's clearly its ambition. So we, we're, we're, going to, we're going to end it at 50-50. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, I think, Erin, you, you've done a good job in making it a little bit more balanced. Um, and so I want to uh, uh, just thank all of our viewers, as well as, of course, our presenters, and invite everybody to watch our next debate. That debate will be, uh, within the next five years, China will use significant military force against a country on its periphery. We will allow our debaters to define significant military force. Um, and uh, we will be featuring uh, Taylor Frable um, and uh, Oriana Mastro. Uh, so please tune in. And thank you again, uh, Aaron Freeberg and Yen Shui Tong for joining us today. Thank you, Bonnie. I will be exploring my options for a recount.